Hey friends, have you ever struggled with a behavior that you knew wasn't good for you, but you did it anyway? Our guest today realized she had a problem, but it took her a while before she was ready to get help. When she finally did, she found Jesus eager and willing to help her stop drinking. You're listening to Halfway There, episode number 332, Roseanne Forte and Letting Go of Shame. Welcome back to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. As always, I'm your host, Eric Nevins. Thank you so much for being here. I am really excited that you are. um, I I sometimes feel a little self-conscious because I say that every time, but I do mean it. I mean that it's exciting to me when I see every single download. You may not know this, but we've had about 600,000 downloads of Halfway There in the uh, years that we've been doing it. And uh, that's that's puts us in, we're, we're doing quite well. So I appreciate that. If you want to help out, best thing you could do, send uh, this show to your friend, to your family, to somebody that you think might enjoy it or might really uh, have a, a, a resonance with it. That would be really, really helpful. So best compliment you can give is to share with a friend. And if you got a little bit of Financial wherewithal, you want to support the show, go to halfwaythereapodcast.com, hit Patreon. Thanks to those of you who do that. I deeply appreciate your help every single month. It's very, uh, very wonderful. Okay, let's get into our conversation. I am excited to hear this because uh, I think it's it's an interesting time in our culture around around uh, this conversation, I think, in, the, in this particular story. So today, our guest, uh, she is the best-selling author and founder of a coaching program called The Plans He Has For Me Coaching. Uh, which focuses on how to put alcohol aside for 12 weeks. Our guest is Roseanne Forte. Roseanne, welcome to Halfway There. Oh, thank you for having me, Eric. I'm so excited to be here. I am excited to have you as well, and I definitely appreciate you taking a little time out of your day to just share a bit of your story. Now, there's more to you, obviously, than uh, a coaching, but tell me a little bit about what you're doing now with a coaching program and where God has you. Yeah, right now I am. Um, the book is recently published and and the company's fairly new uh, in 2022. So I am spending my time um, trying to change lives to let people know that there is this kind of new way of doing things with God and um, just watching people be transformed by with with his word and his instruction manual. So I'm just really enjoying life. It's very purposeful for me. And that's what God wants us to do, right? Yeah. I mean, it feels good to be in that place. So tell me about, so because you wrote the book and um, is the book, the book is the same name, The Plans He Has For Me? Yeah, it is. Yeah, and it's a 12-week devotional. Give us just a brief like introduction to it. And let us know what it is. It's just a way to spend um, every day with God, understanding that he has the perfect instruction manual for how to get this kind of thing done. Um, A lot of times we know the word of God, but we have a hard time practicing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good God. (laughs) Really good advice. Good advice. (laughs) But there's no way to implement it. So I, I had gone through a secular coaching program and was so completely transformed, recognizing God's word all the way through. And I'm like, okay, mm. I've been praying about this problem going away for years. And all of a sudden I go outside the church to get it solved. No. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is my way of 
making sure people understand that these are the steps. God had showed us this thousands of years ago. He told us, he told us, we just weren't paying attention. And, and that, you know, I mean, it's just like my pastor said, it's just sometimes the Bible study or the reading, it's just this practical way to put it all together and spend a daily you know, a month yeah. time with him. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, I'm sure we will get more into it, but I want to hear some of your story and how uh, you got to this place and how you got to into coaching and and particularly uh, your story with alcohol, because I know that's what you're helping people do. Yeah. So yeah. let's, uh, but also with God. So I want to know where God uh, factors into that. So where are you from? Let's, let's go back. So where are you from? Where'd you grow up? <laughs> I'm from New Hampshire and New Hampshire. I went to, yeah, and I went to school in Boston and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I did not have uh, any faith-based background. I did go to Catholic school first six years of my life. Um, I hated it. I begged my parents to be out. They were fine uh, with that because we weren't really Christian. Um, I do very much, uh, or I'm very thankful for that education because it was there that I really learned about the suffering of Jesus. Mm. So when I became a Christian at about 33, I, um, I knew about Jesus and that made it a little bit more helpful when I, when I heard the word. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So you're just, so in 300 and whatever, 30 episodes or so, you're just the second person I've ever had from New Hampshire. So that's great. I love that. <laughs> but, uh, but what I like about it is there's always these, um, there's different flavors around the country. Right. And so I love, I love hear, hearing about yeah. that. Uh, but having said that interesting, you went to Catholic school and you're like, okay, uh, going to be able to give you a good foundation. So you didn't have really any relationship with the Lord. It sounds like at all until you were in your thirties. So tell me that story. How did you come to faith then? I had, um, now I had a whole new meaning for the term equally yoked, <laughs> but um, I had a very, very difficult and what I would describe as toxic marriage. And my parents, my in-laws were uh, missionaries in Alaska and I just was suffering so much. And they said, well, let's, you know, why don't you consider going to church? And I gave my life to to God then. And the interesting thing about that story is I, oh my gosh, I love Jesus. I, I read the Bible all the time. I felt his voice. I heard his voice. I grew over the years to lead Bible studies and speak at women's uh, retreats mm-hmm. and at Bible study. So I, I was the treasurer inside a church. So this is a re- really interesting story. All the while praying for my spouse to find Jesus. And so I found myself living like I think many Christians do half in, half out. Like I was half fully in, as you can tell by what I was involved in, but half fully out in the world, not paying attention, doing things with my husband, trying to please him. You know what I mean? It was just, I wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) Yeah, sure. It sounds difficult. So I got to clarify this point because I was confused. So you, you were married and this, but this was a difficult relationship, but it was your in-laws that were missionaries. Yeah. Okay. It was. All right. So, yeah. and then they were like, Hey, go to church. And you're like, okay. And so you decided to do that. Yeah. And but, they, they became my spiritual advisors and I, 
you know, I stayed in that marriage. I was married for 29 years and then it collapsed. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, that I don't want to say the marriage was the problem, but you know, I, I, I could have chosen not to drink. Right. But I, I chose to drink to deal with my problems and, mm. um, and to kind of check out of the stress that everything was causing me. And then the marriage collapsed and that problem got even worse to where I was just sitting inside a house with the blinds closed, praying to God to like, okay, I'm done. God, you can take me now. I don't, I don't need to stay here any longer. I'm looking forward to being with you. So that that really tells you about how much I love God, right? Um, that, yeah. you know, I, I wasn't afraid to go home with him. I wasn't going to do self-harm, although I, I just didn't want to yeah. be here anymore. You know, I was, I was kind of done. And the you might recognize the name of the book, The Plans He Has for Me. So during the collapse of my marriage... I that I I was like kind of laughing at that verse. I, laughing is a problem, probably not the right term, but yeah, sure, God, what plan do you have for me? I stayed here and prayed for decades for this to work, and look at me now. Like I'm in the house, I'm drinking, my marriage is collapsed, I'm suffering. Right? What plan could you possibly have for me? And yeah. here I am today. <laughs> so. Well, what I think you're touching on there, though, is something that's really uh, normal in the spiritual journey. And so this is one thing I want to highlight for our friends here, that there are even there are these things that we call promises, right? So you're referring to Jeremiah 29, 11, right? I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and give you a hope and a future, right? all that, which is beautiful. And it was a great promise. It is a good promise. And sometimes God will apply that to us and give us the opportunity to grab a hold of it. Um but having said that, that doesn't mean we don't go through hardship, right? I mean, you got to remember that came, uh, I can't remember if it was before or on the heels of the exile where where the Babylonians came in, destroyed everything and carted everybody off to a new place, right? So it's not like these things are without their, their trouble. So even when we're in that season, like you found yourself where you're going, hey, I'm really desperate here, right? I really need, really need God. Um, you know, I'm, I'm guessing some of those things, you know, be, being a Christian, marriage is highly valued. Having your marriage fall apart, uh, there's some shame associated with that. There's some, there's some, you know, sorrow over it, obviously, uh, which makes sense. What were you dealing with specifically? Maybe we want to speak into some of those things, but I want to know, like, what was driving the drinking, particularly for you? Yeah, that's a good question. So I used it for all, all the reasons the world tells you you should use it. I started at a young age to fit in and to be cool. Um, I went to college and it was party, 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 you know, and um, I participated in that. I started working and it was, you know, let's go out for happy hours and let's go out to lunch and have a margarita or a glass. You know, it, it ended up being in the boardroom. You go oh, out nice. on dates and it ends up being the romantic glass of wine between you. Um, I got married and it was everywhere, right? It's, you know, you go to a sporting event, you go to dinner, you go out with friends, you get together. It's just, 
it's always there. So you always grab it, not understanding the consequences that could be going down the road. Um, and it's a long road. Yeah, I remember being in mortgage mm -hmm. banking and people coming into the boardroom going, you know, it takes about 10 years to develop. A, I'm like, oh, thank goodness. I don't have an alcohol problem. <laughs> I see those people that do. Right? Wow. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> and um, well, that's an interesting point, right? Nobody ever thinks they have a have a problem. Oh, like, like, yeah, thank goodness I'm not there. No, I, I don't have a problem. Um, but I do think the problem comes up when I got married, it was difficult. Then you start relying on it to reduce stress and anxiety and to check out because you don't know any other way to deal with the suffering. Mm -hmm. um, and the relationship between trauma and trauma doesn't trauma can come in big T's and little T's, right? Yeah. Um, but the relationship between trauma and, and substance abuse is huge. Right. And, yep. and so I think that the real problem started occurring when I would drink to check out from the day or drink to because I couldn't stand the problems and, and that kind of stuff. And then it's just a slow progression to needing more and more to create mm. whatever effects you need and um, hiding it, doing well, it alone. I mean, there's a whole progression of things that happen. Well, describe that for me for us that um, like, do you have any stories where you were like, you realized you were, you were hiding it or you realized that you were like, I'm going to buy this bottle and do something like do, you know, whatever, uh, drink it all alone or whatever. Like, is there a, did there some moments in your journey where you were like, Oh, Hey. I, and I, back? well, and I've interviewed, I used to be an enrollment coach for another program. And um, so I've interviewed a lot of people and our, our stories are all the same. Um, uh, you know, you have either the hangover, the argument, a car accident, a DUI, right? Something happens where you're the next morning, you were like, oh my gosh, this has got to stop. I got to stop doing this. I got to stop doing and this. Some kind of conversation happening in your head about needing to stop. And, um, and then you try and manage it. So I call that the the time of mental gymnastics. And, and by the way, you can apply these concepts to anything, whether it's food, sugar, you know, uh, yeah. any bad habit, right? You're like, I need to stop this. You start recognizing the cost in your life and you start negotiating with yourself only after five, only with other people, only on the weekends, only on the holidays, right? There's just only on vacation, um, and you, you start not living up to the promises to yourself. Well, then that leads to some, uh, self-confidence issues because now your word isn't valid. Here we go again. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. Let's see if I promise God, like, God, I promise you. And now you're letting God down, right? <laughs> or the other way. God, please fix this as if he's a genie in a bottle, right? Like, yeah. please make this go away. Like, you don't, I don't have to participate. He can just make it go away. Now, I have heard of people that can do that. Like, 
God fix this and boom, they're just healed. I was not one of those people. <laughs> and I talked to a lot. So, you know, I don't want to say that's not possible because it absolutely is. I hear those stories. I just wasn't one of them. I just yeah. stubborn soul, I guess. No, I mean, I think it's, it's God very often uses natural ways. Right. And we, often when we have uh, problems that grow over time, uh, the solutions are over time as well. And I think we're we're a little bit conditioned by reading on a page, miracle after miracle after miracle in a story um, that's being told to inspire us to believe um, that, that that's how God works all the time. And the reality is for the vast majority of us, it's not, we have to make intentional choices. I deeply believe that it is a partnership. Life with God is a partnership. Uh, he shows up and then we also have to show up. And so there's a, there's a whole aspect of that, um, certainly for sanctification um, as we grow into Christ likeness. So I, I hear that's what you're talking about. I'm curious about your stories though. So do you have any other, are there any stories about uh, how you like, well, let me ask you this question. How, so when was it that you realized that you got to that point where you're like, yeah, this has got, this is, I'm, I'm done or like, I'm going to get help or I'm going to, to do something new well i always and unfortunately it's the other unfortunate thing i i realize about this problem um and i i was no different and i'm trying to of course figure out the solution for other people even though i was no different something big has to happen right mm -hmm. my my marriage is falling apart my relationship i got a diagnosis from a doctor I got a DUI, right? Something major. For me, the major event that happened, I knew I had a problem for a while and I didn't even care about fixing it. I told you, you know, I was going through my dark period and my divorce. I just sat in my house and drank and I didn't even care about stopping. Yeah. <laughs> and what, But when what? COVID came, when COVID started coming down the pike, that was pretty frightening. If you remember March of 2020 and you're hearing what's happening in Italy and I was like... So alcohol depresses your immune system and it depresses your lung function. Yeah. And I, I used to be a heavy smoker too, although I quit, you know, 16 years ago, but I was like, Oh, this isn't how I want to die. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I was scared into quitting. And so I quit on my own out of fear for three weeks, but then I entered a coaching program and I, I realized mm -hmm. in retrospect had I not done the coaching, I would have not stayed the path. So, yeah, um, yeah for me, it was an event. Um, you know, you just pray that nobody has the event. I can look back now, and I'm just going to be with all honesty. The amount of alcohol I used to have in my system and get behind the wheel is mm. obscene. And I am so grateful that I didn't hurt myself or somebody else. I'm so yeah. grateful when I when I come home from an event and I'm I don't have to drink. It is such a wonderful experience, and I thank God every day that I wow. did not do harm in that behavior. Man, I love that. I'm going to share. This is not a personal story, but it was one of the reasons I, I care about this topic and I wanted to talk about it. Uh, is and it doesn't you know somebody else's story, but uh, recently. I'm a huge St. Louis Cardinals fan. In fact, I'm wearing my gear right now, but uh, they, their broadcaster got arrested and it was his third DUI. And so, mm -hmm. but in like 12 years, but they don't go away. Right. So it was like the other two were 2010, 2011, and then they just had one. 
and he lost his job and he was, he's fantastic at it. And he needs to focus on his health. He needs to focus on his recovery. But when you see things like that, uh, when I was, when I saw that, man, what, you know, what does it take, right? What does it take to go? Okay. This is because what I know, what you're describing is there's no way nobody does this because it makes them feel good. Right. Mm-hmm. At a certain point, nobody, or maybe there's some benefit, but it's not because it's, it's, they're feeling good about themselves. It's because they're in pain. And right. so what, watching that situation um, and just from news, I mean, I'm in Colorado, I'm not even close anywhere, but I'm, I'm watching from afar and, you know, I'm sad about it as a fan, but that's the least of the, what matters. Um, and I'm watching, I'm going, there's what's going on. I'm asking those questions. Like what's going on in his life? Like what, what does he, what does he need? Can't affect it, but I know that that's how it works for people. So um, I'm fascinated that it, it was, that. I want to ask you this question. When you were in the season of really that kind of long season of getting worse and feeling like you're, you're praying about it. Where did you feel like God was for you? Like, was he, what was he saying to you? Did you have experiences? I felt like he was there trying to take myself back there. I never felt like he wasn't there. I think, and, and this will confirm a lot of the enrollment conversations. I used to enroll a lot of Christians. Um, I think what it did was cause me a lot of shame because I kept saying, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, God, Mm. I'm sorry. And so it wasn't, and I know he forgave me, but it's like over and over and over again. And this is statistically, somebody will suffer with this on their own. And I think it's longer because mine was longer statistically it's four to 4.5 to five years they will try and solve the problem by themselves so i call it secret suffering and um and that's what i was doing i was secretly suffering and when you secretly suffer man it is really hard as much light as i wanted to show Mm. it is really hard to have that effective light of jesus as a christian and um and for me and this is what the other reason i'm doing this i thought aa was the only solution and i was like no way mm-hmm. and i think aa has helped millions of people right it is the end all be all best known methodology out there scientifically yeah. to stop However, I think people have to, like, I probably had another seven years to go before I would have hit that wall, right? Mm, I yeah. um, And that's what I am trying to do. I didn't want to go to AA for two reasons. I didn't want to call myself a name. I didn't want to say I am an alcoholic because that made me feel worse than what I was. It labeled me and it felt wrong. I don't think God labels us, right? Other than wonderfully and beautifully made. Um, And so I didn't want to wear a a label. And from what I understood, it's like, well, look to a higher power. I already had one. His name is Jesus, Mm. right? So I didn't think that AA was solving it for me. And I'm not trying to discourage AA again. I'm just saying, I think there's a lot of people out there like me that are going, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. And also, when you go to AA, you have to go in with the idea that you are going to quit forever. And that's exactly why I do 12 weeks. 
Um, Because it's choice-based, not victim-based. It allows you to get a deeper relationship with God. And um, it empowers you to do something different. If people wouldn't buy this, if they, I, I never thought, I just said, boy, I don't think I've ever quit for 90 days. It was mine. It was a 90 day program. I don't think I've ever quit for 90 days in my entire life. I need to even see what that's like. I just want to know what it feels like. Yeah. And, um, so I didn't have this anticipation of having to quit forever. And when you go to like rehab, AA, yep, you've had your last drink. And the success rate, I don't know if people realize this, but the proclaimed success rate, I think is below 7% of all rehabs of all. Wow. Yeah. Because people will drink again, drink again, drink again. Well, the success rate of a three-month program is a lot higher, a ton yeah. higher. Like. I'm thinking maybe in 75, 80, I I haven't, I don't have the statistics, but it's pretty high. And um, will people drink again after? Yeah, but that, that timeframe is enough to go. So here's why I was like, oh my gosh, I'm calmer. Oh my gosh, I'm thinner. Oh my gosh, I have more confidence. Oh my gosh, my blood pressure is down, right? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, I have more peace. Do I want to go back to that? Heck no. But you need that long, that longer period of time to assess the true benefit. Now, like I said, people will choose alcohol after, but the great news is a lot of times they come back and they go, my life was so good. Why did I do that? You know, that's what I want to do. I want to empower people with this is what it looks like. You can choose anything you want in week 13. Let's just commit to 12 weeks. Yeah, which is interesting. Right. So that oftentimes, particularly with any goal, if you can give it just uh, that focused attention for a little while, right? Like that can really move the needle for people and cause changes, um, which I think is, is powerful. And that's what you're talking about. I want to know, like, so I want to dive into this a little bit if you're okay with it. I'm okay. I'm an open book. So you just shoot up. (laughs) I I say that because I want, like, I really do. It's your story, right? And so you, you get to decide where, where we go, but I I'm interested in the aspect of shame, like for that you had beforehand. Right. Because I think, um, that's probably the catalyst that a lot of people have. You, you, I think you express that a little bit in the idea that I didn't want to be an alcoholic, right? I didn't want to label myself that I wanted to be in control and have a different, maybe a different outcome. Um, you know, did that shame for you come from like an expectation of who you thought God was, or do you think from your, what you thought other people would think about you? Where was that coming from? I think my shame came from, well, I certainly, in in a toxic marriage, I certainly created a lot of behaviors and reactions that were not of God, right? Um, I do think that when I examined it, and this is part of my coaching and in the journal, I think shame comes from the inability to forgive yourself, truly forgive yourself the way Jesus does. 
right? Wiping the slate clean. Because if you're just sitting on a lot of that, what I did yesterday, what I did under the influence, what I caused, you know what I mean? Um, if you can't, got the, the slate has been wiped clean, right? But if you can't do it for yourself, then you can't look forward. If you're stuck in the path, you can't look forward. Um, mm -hmm. It's also... Um, it prohibits you from, yeah, well, it just prohibits you from looking forward. And I like, I had um, a counselor where I was and he has a podcast that I love and I'm sure you've heard this before, but it's it's not what happens to us that creates, um, what is it? Yeah. Creates who we are. It's the stories we tell ourselves about what happens. and. Right. And so I have learned to focus on facts and not emotions. And then if we can kind of focus on facts, we can take shame out. And I do that, like if somebody drinks in the midst of the program, it's it's actually a wonderful opportunity. Um, it, it is unlikely that they do it, but it, it definitely happens. Um, but we, I try and take them through well, what happened? What were you thinking would happen before you grabbed it? What did you need? And just the facts, mm. not the emotion. And then I, I, I helped them identify the lie that was behind the thought. Yeah. And when they kind of do that and they develop this self-awareness, then there's no shame. It's just a learning experience, right? And so it's turning you know, this Romans 8, 28, he uses everything, you know, for good and his purpose. It's turning these opportunities into awareness opportunities to get better and learn. Um, and, and we can only do that without, without putting shame in the mixture. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really powerful uh, because I I'm convinced. And I think this is one reason you see Brene Brown get so much, uh, attention, right? Because nobody had really talked about shame before she started <laughs> showing up and talking about it. Maybe somebody did, but it certainly wasn't popular in our culture. And uh, I think part of the issue is our churches deal in shame quite often. They really do, Eric. Oh my gosh. And this is Wow, you really hit that nail in the head right there. <laughs> I mean, especially the historical churches. Um, yeah. And people that come to me to talk, I, I think that's the one thing that they always, I always hear, like, you didn't judge me. You understood the suffering and you didn't judge me. And that comes up a lot when people, <laughs> the funniest thing when people stop drinking and they're married, they start getting really mad at their spouse for drinking. <laughs> yeah, sure. And it's just hysterical. And I'm like, do you remember that first conversation we had? Like, if I had gotten angry with you or I go, you have to be compassionate and understand mm. that they are suffering and tell them that you love them and you're there for them. Now, does that mean you don't put boundaries on somebody that's acting inappropriately when they're under the influence? No, 
but it's delivering this message um not of disgust like oh so disgusted with you it's a compassion i'm really concerned about the toll this is taking on you your health your mental health i want our relationship to be better right when there's a better listening for that than there is i'm just so disgusted with you why do you have to drink you had six you see what i mean like we need to inspire people into action shaming them does not inspire yeah Ooh, that's a good, that's very right. Shaming, shame does not inspire people to action. Well, it does, but usually it's not a good action, right? Like, so that's, <laughs> I don't think it's long lasting action. Yeah. Pe- people who, who are motivated by shame are, they're not usually doing good things. Right. No. Um, yeah. Fascinating. I, I think that's really interesting. And I wanted to get into that because I think that's what part of the gospel because is that Jesus took our shame, right? He took, it upon himself and that is no longer applicable to us. And so that's part of the joy of the gospel and of the kingdom of God is we no longer have to be uh, that and we are able to grow certainly out of whatever that is. Well, I think it's really interesting. How did you decide to write a journal like this, this 12 week devotional um, that you have written It's called the, the plans he has for me, a 12 week daily devotional for freedom from alcohol. How'd you decide to write that? Um, the secular program I was in, I started working for them and I, um, I was an enrollment coach and I ran across a lot of Christians and they were kind of fearful of coming in. It wasn't a Christian program. And, and I would assure them I was a Christian and they would recognize God's word embedded in the instruction. And there wasn't anything scary. And, um, I decided to start just taking a paper journal and finding scripture that matched the walk and then ending with a prayer. And I just take a picture of it and send it every morning to the Christians in the group. And yeah. they were like, oh, this is really good. You need to do something with this. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and and so um that's how it started it it ended it ends up that every day is scripture and then what i call a mindful minute so it really it's a paragraph or two that specifically talks about your habit as it relates to the scripture and then ends in a prayer gratitude the gratitude is part of every day and just journaling although i don't require it i just want you to reflect on what you read and if there's something like, oh my gosh, that's right, or I do feel better, or I am feeling the power of the Holy Spirit, because that's the thing, this walk, mm. like, I'm that person who wakes up every morning now, and I want to put my arms up and go, yay! <laughs> yeah. And that only happened after I got rid of alcohol, right? And um, and I, th- I'm trying to embed that whole feeling and process in the journal of, you know, the first part of the journal is kind of staying the course, putting on the armor of God, you know, that kind of stuff, because you're dealing with a substance at first. So you have to get that out of your body. But afterwards, we're talking about neurological habits and renewing your mind and practicing these things. And, um, and then I talk about gifts, like we were all born with a gift 
and we know it and we we probably put it on the back burner or told ourselves nah I don't have time for it but we don't have time for it because we were drinking recovering from drinking or thinking about quitting drinking (laughs) so we have plenty of time now to add something joyful in so I encourage that I encourage them understanding the power of forgiveness and then the last part is understanding there's a plan, experiencing the Holy Spirit, documenting the wins, and really getting it. So there's there's definitely a, a method to the madness in the days. Yeah, I love that. I think that's really good. And I can see how it would be very, very helpful uh, for somebody who's struggling with that and maybe wants to say, all right, I need, I need to try something Um you know, instead. So you mentioned earlier that uh, you've had people who are gifting this book, your book to, to others and to great results. Yeah. Surprising um, results as you know, my focus has been on the person who's struggling and the surprising aspect is the number of people that come to me and they go, I gifted this to my sister or I gifted, my sister gifted it to her husband. I just had a friend, this two nights ago, say I gave it to somebody that I work with that I know is struggling. And she came back a couple of days later and, and just like kind of really emotional and gave her a hug and said, this is exactly what I needed Hmm. because it's a non-shame based thing, right? It's right. I go, I go through, this is just a neurological habit. God designed your mind to, to be an energy saving um, you know, mechanism. So we don't have to relearn things, but you put bad stuff in there. (laughs) Bad stuff gets memorized too. So don't, don't worry. There's a, you know, he tells us we can renew our mind and that's the concept of neuroplasticity, right? (laughs) Which is a fairly recent concept, right, Eric? Yeah. They just, because we used to believe that, and that's where I think the whole disease thing came up. Oh my gosh, once you have that alcohol brain, you're done for, you have a disease. But no, God said we could renew our mind. (laughs) And this is, actually, I say this a lot in my coaching or in my interviews, that my story is the collision of God's word, personal suffering, and the science of the brain. And every time I find a scientific, fa- you know, fact, then I I go, but God told us that before, <laughs> you know, I'm like, he, yeah. he was right so long ago. And because of that, because of that collision, I'm pretty much straight on, like, I don't want to deviate from God's word. If he says it, I'm following it. <laughs> I know the consequence of not. Yeah. Yeah. Describe that for us. Describe the concept of neuroplasticity, uh, because I think some people, like, maybe it's out there, but I don't know if everybody gets it. So, like, just give us the brief. Yeah, and it's catching on. If you now that you once you hear it, you know you're going to start listening to it a lot. I even I even am starting to hear it in sermons with pastors, and I love it. So there are deeply ingrained neural pathways that we develop by practicing things. It's how we can get to and from work. And we go, wait, I don't even realize how I got from the driveway to parking lot. Um, your subconscious mind is operating, right? And it's just it's just doing what it does. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to learn about it. Um, and 
any habit that you practice, whether like I, I started practicing making my bed because when I was drinking, I didn't feel like it quite frankly. Yeah. But there's science of making your bed and having a clean and tidy mind and room. There's science behind it. So at first I had to work at making my bed work. Like, no, I've got to make my bed. I had a list in the morning. Here are the six things I got to do. And one was making my bed. Now I don't even know how the bed gets made. I'm like, Oh, I made my bed. Look at that. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I'm doing the actions, but my thoughts are somewhere else. I'm just doing the actions. So it used to be there, you can actually take MRIs of the brain these days and, and they can be different colors and different things shut off. And it's because of our thought processes and our neural pathways and everything. And, um, but the newer science has said that we can redirect you know, we have a trigger when we drink. Oh, I'm stressed. Reach for the drink. Oh, I want to fit in. Reach for the drink, right? We can um, redirect those neural pathways. It takes work. It takes practice. But it can be done. And so I need stress. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to just go calm down before I deal with this problem, right? And that's what we teach in the coaching aspect is identify having the awareness of what is causing you to reach it because yeah. here's the cool thing 90 percent of your brain is the subconscious right. and it's all this operating system it's just a tape recorder just whatever you put in there stays in there right but the 10 percent, yeah. the coolest thing is the 10 percent has the ability to look at what's happening at the 90 and I never realized that before. I just thought everything was me. And so that's why you beat yourself right. up because you're not, you think yes. you're the one choosing, right? Man, what, I'll tell you what, I've done a ton of study of mindset over the last year, year and a half or so. And that's one of the most positive and helpful things that I've learned is that this whole idea that you can change what you think, right? So even... Like, even if you're, when you're in that mode where you're beating yourself up, where you're like, you know, I'm not, if I can just take a split second and go, wait, is that true? Right. Is that real? Is what I just First said about Corinthians myself Corinthians 10, 5, capture your thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. Yes. <laughs> Learning that one habit, my friends, will do so much for you. And then, you know what, as a believer, the part of the thing we can do is, I don't always ask myself. Sometimes I ask God if that's true. God, is that true? Right. And then that can be this moment of kind of bringing truth into my life and bringing redirecting those neural pathways, like you were talking about, to something positive instead of something negative about, you know, how I'm not worth or whatever. Not so. only this, I um, found a book that I really like. It's called The Biology of Belief. Uh, it's Bruce Lipton. He's kind of a father of something called epigenetics. And he was doing some uh, work at the cellular level, putting things in, um, in in a Petri dish and certain things like he'd put a toxin in, he'd notice the cell would move away from the toxin. He'd put a nutrient in, the cell would move toward the nutrient. He'd put some things in and he calls it like elevator music, nothing happens. And so he says that your cells are either in growth mode or protection mode, and they cannot be mm, right in both modes. It's only one or the other. And 
your cells are the you know smallest particle of your body right so you build it up and you become the human being and and so what he says interesting scientist not christian <laughs> he says there's only two emotions love and fear which is the so you're either in growth mode or protection mode now what is how many times does god say do not fear in the bible right right yeah uh, that um, makes perfect sense to me and the other thing he said so he kind of rolls that up to the human level and he says love and fear and he goes so i've concluded there are only three things and here's the drum roll eric <laughs> three things that affect a cell toxins trauma meaning you hit yourself right and thoughts <laughs> wow and um and so he says he uses mm. this example like the way we were created, you know, you're running from the saber-toothed tiger, all of the blood rushes to your extremities so you can do what you need to do and have this superpower strength to deal with the true sense of fear that you need to deal with, right? You're in danger, yeah. you're in physical danger. And he says, where does that blood come from? He said, coming from your, your brain. Yeah, right. Coming from your gut, which is responsible for your immune system. So okay. when we live in a state of fear, which most people do, watching the news, worried about, you know, and literally having palpitations about what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, something they have no control over. And they're living in this constant state of fear and stress. Scientifically, I think the statistics are 90%, over 90% of cancers are the result of stress. 95% of doctor's visits are the result of stress. Um, the statistics, just I just welcome anybody to look this up. And I can prove it because I used to get the common cold and I used to go to the emergency room and have um, bronchial distress steroids um oh, yeah, antibiotics everything and after i got divorced and after i was focused more on god i am completely healed i mean i'm talking everything common cold every, i'd be in the hospital yeah. and it was just because i was living in a constant state of stress and so um really important yeah it's amazing Friends, I invite you so to check this out. These are interesting ideas, and it's all kind of new. I get a little nervous when people start talking about consciousness and like the manifestation stuff. Oh yeah, but I'll tell. But I'll say this: I do think there's something powerful about our thoughts. There's something powerful about our words. I know that, and I think in this, actually, we're like God. God creates the heavens and the earth with His words. We don't do that exactly, but I think we do create our reality with the things that we meditate on. And I think renew your minds, right? Think it's all over the New Testament if we take a look at it with that framework, um, which I think is really powerful and important anyway. Okay, interesting also, you said those three things that a cell responds to, toxins, uh, what were they, toxins? Um, toxins, trauma, and thoughts. Toxins, trauma, and thoughts. Okay, so if alcohol is the toxin, right, that is maybe leading to some sort of trauma or responding to some sort of trauma, and then creating negative thoughts. Like, what are you doing? Like that, that like suddenly is this really powerful negative spiral that can, can lead you to. Yeah. And I, I agree with good. you because I, I am 
Well, I'm very sound in God's word. So I, I venture out into the science and I don't believe any science until I can match it up to what God said. And I'm like, hey, God said sure. that first. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a, at this point, I don't like I have a degree in biblical studies. I don't think everything has to be in the Bible, but I but if it can, if we can see it there, I think that's fantastic. And I think it matters. But anyway, I love that. Roseanne, thank you so much for sharing your story. I, this conversation is really fascinating to me, and I'm really glad that uh, not only uh, were you able to to go through that and to leave a place of shame and feeling like God wasn't there to a place of where you're living your life with God, which I think is amazing and wonderful, and now you're helping other people with it. People can find you at theplanshehasforme.com. Uh, they can uh, you can get the book there. You can uh, look sign up for coaching there friends if that's something you say to yourself hey you know what uh it's we're, we're by the time this comes out it'll be past the holidays but maybe it's saint patrick's day and you say to yourself uh, i don't know maybe maybe that's a bad idea for me to go drink too much green beer uh what should i do instead go to roseanne's website the plans he has uh for me.com check it out and sign up yeah i also have a kickstart method for alcohol freedom there that you can download for free so yeah, yeah. Perfect. It's all right there. Anything else you want to leave us with, Roseanne? Nope. Uh, well, I guess you, I started, I was brave enough to start a TikTok channel and an Instagram channel at Roseanne Forte Plans. And so, yeah, I really appreciate having you. You are a great podcast interviewer. And uh, I'm just, I'm honored that you had me on your show. Thanks, Roseanne. Thanks for sharing your story. Mm-hmm.